This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Welcome to the Dogish Podcast, the podcast dedicated to dog parents and the topics, events, and personalities impacting their lives. My name is Sylvia West, uh, also known as Dog Up in This Bitch, and I am here with Jason Arias, the founder of Forever USA, a photography experience for you and your dog, Jason. Hello. How are you today? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm excited for today. Dude, I am so stoked today. I didn't realize how excited I was going to be, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, you're always, I feel like a little slow on the uptick, well, but uh, there's so much of this stuff that's new. Like when you walk into a new class and, and you're like, okay, like excited to be here, but I don't really know. And then all of a sudden they like open it up and you're like, this is incredible. And you're like, my mind is exploding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so today we are taking another wonderful trip into the world of dog sports. And we interviewed Kemma Ruschenberg, nice who work. is literally a world renowned agility competitor um her dogs are like ranked globally she's oh, we get to meet porky pig yes porky pig comes on she's cute she's adorable she's not what you think she is but she is 14th in the world so let's get to our interview with Kemma. um i think you'll learn some fascinating things and if you're like me you'll leave with a motivation to want to compete in agility all of a sudden uh <laughs> <so> let's get <laughs> Hi, welcome, Kemma. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? We're doing pretty good. So you're coming to us from you. Now, you and Jason are both in the desert because he's well, he's likes to say he's in the forest, but he's in Reno, Nevada. You'd be surprised how deserty it is here. Okay, and then you're in. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, no, no. no. I was going to say. So I've lived in both places. So, Kemma, you're down in. just outside of Phoenix, down in Gilbert, is, I think that's what we just learned. Correct. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm here in Reno, as Sylvia Point considered a death, but we still have eight inches of snow outside. <laughs> well, Arizona actually has snow right now, too. Oh, I saw you guys got the snow. Does yeah, it yeah. really? Yes, oh, and, no. and not even a far drive from me. I want to say like yeah. an hour and a half away. So, no. um, in fact, Phoenix even got snow. They just got, the you know, like that light dusting that doesn't right. really count as snow in most of the U.S. So, we, we're all getting the weird weather this week, all of us. Yes, my my California, my son, I should clarify, my Southern California girl proclivities do not allow for such intense weather swings. <laughs> See, I, on the other hand, I'm very excited. I'm like, I actually get to wear my warm, fuzzy boots for like one week. Um, you know, the sweater goes on. <laughs> I'm just excited when it's 60 and I can justify wearing a hoodie. You know, <laughs> 60, I'm freezing. Oh, the chill. Uh, <laughs> so we brought you on to talk about um, the wild and wonderful world of dog sports because you just so happen to be an absolute agility master. Um, if I've been following you on Instagram for a while and the stuff you're doing is blowing my mind. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your seven doggos. You are killing it as a dog, mom. <laughs> Thank you. Seven. That's awesome. Seven. Yeah. Yes. So um, what, what are their names? 
I always uh, love to know all their names. <laughs> I, me too. My oldest is Google. Okay. And then I have uh, Popeye, maybe Gur. Those are all my border collies. And okay. I have a Jack Russell Terrier named Jelly Bean and two Chihuahuas, Polly Pocket and Porky Pig. <laughs> I love how opposite end those are because right. <laughs> <laughs> I think of the two. I thought like Porky Pig would also be like a cute small dog name like Polly Pocket and her friend. I don't know. A small elven name. Elfo. I don't know. But yes. Porky Elfo? The pig. Did you Elfo. say Elfo? I did. Yes. That's Does an no elven one... name. <laughs> I don't know. Does nobody watch Disenchanted? Is it just me? All right. Um Anywho. So okay, seven. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So we so seven. Dogs. Digress. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's one of those days. Yes, seven dogs. Um, And it usually surprises people because, I mean, that's a lot, especially when you think that half of over half of them are border collies and they're known to be really high energy, kind of high maintenance breeds. Um, But it's partially because I'm very involved in my sport. And since it's an active sport, I have to be aware of the ages of the dogs. Like there's a minimum age before they start and there's not a maximum age you're allowed to run them until, but I tend to have a retirement age in mind for them so that that way I end the game for them while they're still you know, healthy enough to enjoy their retirement. And I also like to compete in multiple height classes. So I have my dog who's retired, my dog who's competing, my dog who is up and coming, and then multiply that by two. So I have it in the taller height class and the lower height class. So, okay. So if I'm hearing this correctly, because most people think, oh, agility. Yeah. I need a border collie to do agility. And so you're telling me that Polly Pocket, it runs agility. Porky Pig actually runs agility. Porky Pig. Oh, Porky's <laughs> with us. Face. Oh, no. So cute. She's very tired. Uh, so, so Polly Pocket is my first chihuahua. She is three pounds. Um, unfortunately, when she was nine months old, she was diagnosed with a small dog genetic disorder called leg perthes. Now, mm. as an agility person, I highly, highly recommend everyone get health checks on their dogs prior to getting like super competitive um, because sometimes they'll do things like what Polly did, which was limp. Other times they hide stuff. Um, and most of the things that we need to be aware of are easily diagnosed with x-rays at around a year old. So at nine months, since Polly started limping, we did x-rays, found out she had something called leg parthies. It re- required an FHO, which for people that maybe aren't familiar with that, that's a fem- femoral head osteotomy, which is where they remove the head of the femur. Um, oh. Yeah, it's a major wow. surgery. It's typically done for things like hip dysplasia. Okay. Um, now, of course, removing the head of the femur to one leg in her rear end is going to greatly affect her ability to have a safe uh, and long-term career in agility. So she became instantly retired as a young dog. She's, she's spoiled rotten and gets to, you know, do a billion things, just not agility. Um, And I had, planned on getting her a chihuahua friend about a year later. And that's how I ended up with Porky Pig, who came from the Humane Society. And um, that name. I, just, I just with that name, I love it. I, I truly expected. I mean, I, I half expected, but half didn't just because I know you're an agility queen um, and also like a fitness instructor. So I knew you wouldn't have a fat dog. But when I heard Porky Pig, I expected to see like the typical little like rolled up chihuahua pop up into my screen. (laughs) You know, like the little they're just like one size. I mean, he's a little a little round right now. No, he's so big. I'm so excited to hear about all this agility stuff. But my heart is dying to know like where all the like the, the names came from. Like we have some some great 
it, so there's it, a variety. You know, there's everybody no theme listening going. Is gonna be like, um, I thought we were gonna be talking about agility classes and like well, how to name your dog unique names. Like, <laughs> yeah. So we'll so, get to the agility. Um, right. right. I, Naming is something that is, of course, always personal, right? So I have students that name all of their dogs human names. I have students that have themes or every dog's name starts with the same letter. Like for me, it's something that is um, either powerful, inspirational, or of value to me. Um, or the dog picked it. Like Porky, I really, really, when I got her from the shelter, she was adorable. She was like a, a just just over a pound and i really wanted to name her tootsie so i could yell come on toots while i was running agility i, I had it all planned out <laughs> but yeah. she liked food liked to roll and gross things she quickly let me know she was not a toots she was a pig <laughs> and we went that direction instead That's so amazing. i you know um polly pocket was my favorite child's toy popeye was a cartoon that i enjoyed so so it generally you know follows some sort of theme to my life. Google big fast has all the answers. Sometimes you just get a lucky answer, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So there's something that I really want to uh, hone into when we get back from this break, um, about something you said about appropriate ages. So yeah, more on that when we get back. Thing. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're back. So right before the break, I have a burning yearning question. As a dog nerd and dog trainer myself, I wanted to touch base more for our listeners who might be interested in agility on something that you talked about, which was appropriate ages. So it's, so I want to first talk about the correct age to start agility. So can you explain to us like what that is and how you got to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. So learning can start right away. Literally an eight week old puppy can start learning, but agility is kind of an impact sport, right? Think of it as, as like hurdles for people or weightlifting. It's something that's going to provide a lot of extra stress on your joints and your bones. And so if you have a dog that's growing, you could potentially put too much stress on their growth plates or their bones and therefore cause injury. So what you're generally looking for is learning that helps them develop their body and their brain, but not put too much impact or stress on their developing bodies until the development is complete. So it's generally thought that dogs stop growing depending upon the breed somewhere between nine months and a year and a half. The only way you really know is with x-rays. So um, I, I x-ray all of my dogs around a year old, so I can be sure I can start doing the higher impact training with them safely. Porky Pig, my chihuahua, still had open growth plates in her shoulders, which are a weight-bearing growth plate at a year old. Her growth plates didn't close until 19 months old. On the other hand, I had another border collie uh, that I x-rayed at nine months old, and she had already fully closed all of her growth plates. Right. So at nine months at nine months. So Whoa. I had opposite experience based off of what you would expect for no. the breeds. So the only way to really be sure is x-rays. And I, I generally x-ray somewhere between um, nine months and a year and a half, depending on, you know, how, what breed they are, how they're growing, if they're showing any signs that make me worry, things like that. Um, but up until then, you can do little learning activity to help them develop their brain and their body awareness without affecting their, their their growth. Now, the agility organizations themselves have rules and stipulations on when you're allowed to enter them in competitions. So there's really no rush anyway on the training because you're literally not allowed to even enter them until they've hit those minimum age requirements. And that varies from 15 months to 18 months, depending on the organization. Okay. Now, can, I ask you, can I ask a dumb question? No, 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 no dumb question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. How do they know? 
right? And and I'm, it's relative because we just brought a, a new dog into our house and she's a rescue. Like technically, I have no idea how old she is. We can only make guesses. So how do they like? How do they do that? Do you have to have some kind of certification or papers like? You send in when when you choose what organization you're going to compete with, mm-hmm. you send in not only your handler information, but the dog's information, which would include, yes, their breed or if they're all American in the case of rescues um, and their date of birth. And for some people, it is an estimated date of birth. Like Porky Pig, she came from the Humane Society. She has an estimated date of birth. Um, but is that what they're categorized as is all American? They can't all be. So, <laughs> they can't oh, be. I nope. love that. <laughs> Much so, yeah, better yeah. than Mutt. Yes. Might, yes. <laughs> Those are our next shirts. We're definitely getting all American shirts. I'm on all, all American, over that. Yeah. <laughs> so now, I mean, they, you can classify them as a breed if they're like pig and they're clearly a breed. They just happen to end up in the shelter. But most of our shelter dogs are who knows what's it, right? And so they are, they're all Americans in the agility organizations. So good. But awesome. now they're, there is not a retirement age in any of the organizations. So what I usually recommend for people is that you either pick a number for yourself and you could pick that based off of the average lifespan of your breed, like smaller dogs generally live longer. So therefore they could potentially have a safer, longer career than a larger dog. Or what I prefer to do, I, I set a number, but I also track their yards per second on their runs. So, and that's easy to track because every course you compete on, the judge will give you their measured yardage of the course and then you get their time so you can find your yards per second on runs and if at any point that starts to decline like your dog all of a sudden starts running slower that's a good indicator that something's wrong or they're just getting old and tired and maybe ready for retirement I mean this is literally blowing my mind Mm -hmm. um because and I'm a dog trainer too I just I agility is not my sport but this is literally a sport like your dogs are athletes and you're an athlete with them. You're actually tracking their yards per second. And I think that that is so fascinating and so informative and something that I really, if anything, I hope our listeners take away from this is like, A, the capability of a dog to be this focused and B, like that you can do this with your dog if you want to. Like you and your dog can be athletes together. And um, and it doesn't matter what kind of dog you have because you're literally running border collies and chihuahua mutts out of the humane society all americans all americans out of the humane society so i think that that's just to me it's so wonderful and so magical that this human animal bond can be created it doesn't matter you know like you don't have to have a purebred border collie if this is a part of your goals with your dog so we like we we just had a great interview with another great trainer and we talked a lot about goals. So when you're getting a dog, because you've now had seven, are they you're getting each dog with the intention of competing them? Is that like your overall goal with your dogs? Yes, absolutely. I love agility. So for me, every dog I choose to bring into my life is a dog that I'm hoping to do the sport with. But I say hoping because you know there's things that could happen that we can't necessarily foresee, right? Like Polly Pocket having the genetic disorder that prevented her from doing agility. So now there are agility handlers who take the sport so seriously that in the event that they get a dog that they cannot do agility with, they will choose to rehome the dog to a pet home so that they can bring another dog into their home. I'm fortunate. I have enough um, time because this is my full-time career and I have enough space to where I don't have to do that. My dogs get to be my dogs for life, even if they can't be agility superstars, but it is, it is my passion. So I love it if I can do it with all of the dogs that come into my life. 
Amazing. So speaking on superstars, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about some of the amazing places that you've competed with your incredible dogs? Yes. So um, Popeye and I have competed in um, Germany, the Netherlands. We've Popeye's my border collie. So he was my first Team USA dog. Um, Jellybean and I, my Jack Russell Terrier, are due to compete in Belgium as soon as travel is allowed. <laughs> um, Porky Pig is too small for international competition. They only have three jump heights internationally, and uh, she would have to jump double her current like shoulder height. So she is a national champion. She's actually one of the top ranked Chihuahuas in the United States. And so Ooh, Porky. Wow. <laughs> We're in the presence of like some real celebrities, like worldwide stuff here. Yes. Uh, three time Team USA. Well, four time if I count Border Collie Classic in, in Germany. So, but that, you know, we, I mean, we ran finals in that. So that counts, right? <laughs> so, four time Team USA and uh, multiple national podiums, re- re- tons of regional podiums. Porky, my little chihuahua, got. Uh, there are four gold medal opportunities in an event called USDAA Regionals, and she got all four gold medals in her height class. Porky uh, just killing it, rolling <laughs> in it, and killing it. Yes, and height classes are mixed breeds, so she was against, you know, the Shelties and Terriers and Papillons and anyone that fit in her height class. But yes, she loves to kill. So you mentioned that a couple times. The the height class. Um, yes, I, I don't think that that was something else I wouldn't have been aware of. So how does how does that work in particular? So your height class is determined by your dog's measurement from the top of their shoulder blades to the ground. Um, people oftentimes assume that it's based off of your breed or the weight of the dog, but it's not. It's it's literally just top of what we call the withers. So it's where the pointy part of the shoulder blades are to the ground. So you'll have a variety of breeds within the same height class. Um, the only exception to that rule is an event called the AKC Invitationals, which is where they specifically invite the top five of each breed from AKC events through a certain qualifying period to represent that breed. And that's how I know uh, that Porky is one of the top Chihuahuas is because she was, she was a recipient of that. Wow. So she went to the invitationals on invitation. I mean, Porky is seeming like your superstar, but I know you're doing amazing things with your border collies as well. So when you say team USA, can you break that down for us? Cause like when I think team USA, I think of like the Olympics. So I'm, you know, I'm ignorant, let's say in this. So like, break that down for me. What is Team USA? How do you get on? So Team Team USA USA is our Dog Agility Olympics. It is, you have to go through a certain qualification process to even get to a tryouts event. And then at the tryouts event, you have to get a certain caliber performance in order to either get what's called a win on spot or a selection spot for the team. And then once you're a part of Team USA, you get, I mean, it's, you're wearing the Team USA jacket and traveling to Europe and competing against other countries. And it, it, there are both individual runs. So it's your score against everyone else's score. And, you know, at that event, Um, and there are team runs where you plus your Team USA co-team members are scored together against other country teams. So, and it's actually, it's really neat. And uh, Popeye's first world team event, he ended up being uh, 14th in the world for what we refer to as the games at the uh, WAO, the World Agility Open in the Netherlands. So that was, that was pretty cool. How does like, okay, so right now my mind is trying to wrap around, like you've got, you've mentioned all of these different events. Is there a uh, like a hierarchy you might be able to relate to as far as whether it's professional sports or my league sports is the way it works up? Like, is there a, a pinnacle, a Super Bowl, since that's something that when it comes into agility sports? 
Absolutely. And it's a little confusing. <laughs> um, but what I always tell people is part of the reason why there's so many is because this is this, even though, yes, it's a sport, it's one of the neatest sports, in my opinion, because it crosses, like you mentioned, all breeds, including mixes, all sizes, but also all types of people. I have I have students who are junior handlers. I have students who are in their 80s. I have students who are in wheelchairs. So any dog, providing they're physically healthy, and any person can play this game. So we have organizations that are geared toward that. They're geared toward the people that want to want to just get an entry level and you know just enhance their relationship and training with their dogs, all the way to the people that are like me and who've made it into a career and plan on being very competitive. So your entry level uh, organizations would be UK. KI, AKC, and USDAA. Now, all three of those organizations are, are national level, right? You can get all the way up to a national event, but you play them locally in order to then get to your national event. And then at your national events, um, and I say events plural because some of them have uh, a national and a tryout. So some of them have they have different ways of doing it. But at your national events is how you would then earn your way to the international events. And um, some people, like I said, their goal is just local. And some people, their goal is national. And some people, their goal is international. Um, but it's it's tiered differently as far as how difficult the competitions are and how many people you'll see at the event based off of those things. Okay, let's take a quick break. And uh, more on this mind-boggling sport when we get back. So, so you just described how you, you start kind of local, right? And maybe those are your hobbyists trying to figure out if this is something that they want to get into. Is that, does that sound about right? Like kind yeah, of? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Most of us don't know we really want to right. go further in the sport until we try that. And then nationals. So there's not like a, typically there's not a state. Then you go to nationals. There are some regional events. So AKC okay. does not have any regional events. They do local national and local tryouts, USDAA and UKI, they have regional events. Okay. So what were the three groups? Like if I, let's say I said, uh, so I'm here in Reno, we're relatively small and I wanted to get into this. Who were the three groups that I would look into? AKC, which uh -huh. I'm sure most people recognize that one. And you can do that one even with mixed breeds. Remember they're the all American, okay. um, USDAA okay. and UKI. Now, there are some other organizations that are even smaller than those three, but those are the big three in the U.S. Perfect. Okay, so so there's local, and then there's regional, and then we go national. And Correct. then if, if you do well at national, then you go the next, is, is international after that? Yes, so there's national events that are both just national and national events that are tryouts. Your tryouts events are where you earn your way onto Team USA, which would be international. And so then... So then this is more structured like the Olympics as opposed to like a Super Bowl, right? So then so then Correct. once you go international, you're representing a Team USA. And do they hold those events like every year or is it every four years like the Olympics? Like how does that work once you get to, to the international event? Uh, the international event is every year, but similar to the Olympics, it does rotate countries. So, um, you know, 
one year it might like the year I went, it was in the Netherlands. The next year it might be in Italy. It might be in Germany. So they do, they actually do a pass the flag type thing at the international event to the next year's country and everything. It is really neat. They do a parade of countries where we all walk through with our flags. It, it's, I, I think it's super cool. I get excited just thinking about it. I know, it sounds- <laughs> it's a very cool. It's like and, that's. And so that's the pinnacle. So that's like the, mm. the peak of where you can get is that is, is that international annual event. Uh, Correct. What, and what is that called? So there are different ones because originally there was only one. It was the uh, Agility World Championships, and it's sanctioned by FCI, which is the European uh, sanctioning body for agility. But the Agility World Championships was only for purebred dogs. And obviously, as the sport grew, more of us were like, well, we don't all have purebred dogs with a three-generation pedigree. So now there's still the Agility World Championships, which is still pretty much the pinnacle in the sport because it's the original. Um, But there's also the European Open. And the European Open allows our mixed breeds. Um, And then there's the World Agility uh, Open. And that one also allows mixed breeds. So there's, there's... I would say four that are recognized now, three that are big. And the three that are, are big are the ones that I just mentioned. Love it. And so what are, like, um, what are some of the events? Like, like in my mind, I, I kind of have an idea of what agility is, but I'm assuming there's, so there's multiple events at these um, competitions. Like what are the, some of the things that um, the handlers have to do or the dogs have to do or that they have to do together? Like, Describe that for me. Okay, so the two main events that people will see um, all the way from the local to the international level level are what we refer to as jumping and agility classes. So now jumping classes have jumps, tunnels, and can have weep pulls depending on the organization. The agility classes, also referred to sometimes as standard classes, will have the same equipment, jumps, tunnels, and, and weep pulls, but they'll also include the contact equipment. That's the A-frame, dog walk, and the teeter or seesaw. So um, now... There are two organizations that include what we refer to as games classes, and that's the one I had mentioned that Popeye ended up 14th in the world for. So games classes are strategy classes. They have all the same equipment that I just mentioned, but you do not get a preset course. You get a time restriction and some certain rules, and you have to come up with a strategy in order to get the most amount of points within the time given to you. So it's a combination then of skills and strategy. And I, the games classes, they either stress people out or people love them. There's, it's a love-hate relationship <laughs> because of that. But I think there are yeah, a lot of sounds, fun. Uh, sounds like a lot of pressure because you're like, okay, there are no rules. Here's all the equipment. Get all the points you can. Ready, go. You're like, ah. <laughs> right. And you, you getting first or third could be the difference of one point, which could be your right. plan. Could be your plan. That's that's one jump that someone did that you did that you skipped because you thought you wouldn't have enough time. And it turns out you had two seconds left on the clock, which would have been plenty of time to get, to get one, that one more jump. Wow. Yes. So it can mess with you. <laughs> so you mentioned a lot of the equipment that are running through the different courses, um, you know, the jumps in the in the agility. So the agility class. So just break down for everybody, because I'm sure everybody knows like what jumps are. <laughs> Right. Those are you, your dog goes over for everybody right. who. Right. Which but, remember, guys, is based off of your dog's height. So if you have a small dog, it does not need to jump 20 inches. I know they can jump on the couch. Don't kill your dog. Don't kill your dog. Please don't injure your dog. <laughs> um, so break down for us some of the other equipment. Like to, what is the A-frame? What is a, a? I think my favorite is probably the teeter just because it's really fascinating. I think I heard. What is it? Weave poles or weave poles? Weave poles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So break some of that down for us. And then like, what are your favorites? 
So uh, jumps, as you mentioned, are just hurdles, um, which is relative to your dog's height. So everyone's dog, yes, can jump. Don't overdo it. Um, it's really easy to Google what your dog's jump height class would be uh, based off of the venue and your dog's height from, remember, from shoulders to ground. Tunnels are literally what they sound like. They're tubes that your dog has to run through. They cannot see you while they're in them. So they can be challenging for some people to train initially because most dogs don't like to take their eyes off the cookies or the humans. Um, but later on when they have a lot of value for them, we refer to them as particle accelerators. What goes in comes out faster. Um, yes. Um, I Hunter, by the way, I ran Hunter and Agility for like two weeks and well, it was a little longer than that, but he did not understand the tunnel and liked to use it as a bridge. So yeah. <laughs> he was like a little Pomeranian. So he would jump on top and run along the top of the tunnel. And I was like, buddy, not quite what we're, what we're aiming for here. They don't want to take their eyes off the cookies. So it's very normal, <laughs> very normal. Um, A-frame is, if you think of like A-frame style houses, right? Where they've got that triangular type roof. That's what an A-frame is. The dog has to go up one side and down the other. Having to touch the yellow on the downside is part of the criteria of the obstacle. The Wait, dog break that down. Break down, touch the yellow. Oh, there's a yellow zone on the con on all the contact obstacles. And if the dog is required to touch it, it was initially created as a safety rule so that the dogs don't jump from the top and hurt themselves. But it has become more of a performance rule at this point versus a safety rule. Um, but that is if basically like so a jump, if they knock over the bar, it's faulted. They did not perform the obstacle correctly. The same thing okay. applies to an obstacle like a contact. But instead of displacing a bar, it has to do with did they touch the yellow or not? So just to kind of break this down for our listeners, when you get the A-frame, it's like, well, I'm going to. For those who are watching, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> I know I do it too. <laughs> it's a, it's a triangle. Yeah, I think she, I think Kama explained it as like a, a roof. Yes. Yes. So it's striped. So there's a yellow zone, a blue zone. Usually it can be purple, and then right. another yellow zone at the bottom of the ramp. So when your dog is coming down the ramp, they have to actually go down the ramp. They can't just like leap off the ramp because they're excited to get to the next thing. Correct. They have to actually make contact with the bottom of the ramp, which just means in the competition, they're just ensuring that your dog goes down all the way. So if you imagine like your dog kind of skipping the bottom step, they're not allowed to do that. They have to go down all the stairs, I think Correct. is a Jason, did that make sense to you? Yeah, totally. You now now okay. I'm wondering, like, do they have like a uh, like an instant replay? Because I would I would assume that sometimes <laughs> it's it's pretty close. Like, and and like somebody throws in the red flag. Like, I mean, like, how does <laughs> so they do actually? So at the national uh, event for USDAA, they have a replay. They have video replay. The national event for UKI utilizes two judges, and the, all the international events utilize two judges. So, because they want to make sure they, they, it's not only the difference in safety for the dog, but it's the difference in what we refer to as a clean performance, a clean run, or a faulted run. And obviously, when you're looking at placements, you know you don't want the guy who's getting gold to actually have missed his dog walk contact because that's not fair. <laughs> if the guy getting silver did not miss his contact, <laughs> right? So, so yes, there is actually, there is actually video replay or more than one judge to ensure as much as possible that it is being judged fairly. All right. So moving on, we did the A-frame, we did the hurdles, we did the tunnel. Let's talk about those weave pulls. 
So uh, weave poles, they, they kind of look like the sticks in the ground. I'm sure we've all seen them on YouTube or, or if you go to my Instagram, you'll see tons of videos. <laughs> um, and that's where the dog literally is weaving. They're doing a back and forth motion between what looks like just sticks in the ground. There are rules to the performance of that obstacle also, um, like they have to enter with the first pull on their left shoulder. They can't skip any pulls. Um, obviously there's measurements to make sure that the poles are legal. So every, every obstacle in agility has specifications for design so how what what its creation should be like and then performance those things always blow me away. when i when i watch some of the dogs cruise through those things that one probably fascinates me most because they just like the the, the back and forth and the, it's almost like they're moving in a straight line and their yeah. fur is just wrapping around it somehow it's really neat isn't it it's actually one of the more fun obstacles to train because it is it's both a combination of muscle memory and behavior training um, so it's really neat to see it develop because when they understand the, the motion of it, the behavior of it, they can, they can do it super fast. Yeah. And their little tail works like a little un- mm-hmm. rudder almost. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. So let's talk about, um, one more of your favorite obstacles. So I actually love the teeter. Um, most people don't because it's a, that one's one of your harder ones to train. You're working against survival instinct with training the teeter, meaning they, your dogs might be afraid of noises or motion. And if your dog is not afraid of motion, your dog will be so much easier to train on the teeter, but be careful around cliffs because they have very little survival instinct. <laughs> so, so, you know, pros and cons to a dog that's easier to train on the, the teeter. Yeah, going to Grand Canyon. Uh, right, exactly. Because <laughs> generally, if you get on something and it moves, your survival instinct says, hey, I should get off of this. This is dangerous. So if you have a dog that doesn't go, hey, I should get off of this, survival instinct is very slim in that dog. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, this dear. Is, this is not boding well for Juniper. One of the first things I did was I took her over to my friend's house and she played on the teeter at like eight <laughs> weeks old. She had no fear of it. She was like, yeah. And she pushed it down and it smashed. And she was like, this is cool. So yes. I'm very worried now about my <laughs> It means it'll be easy to train on the teeter, but you'll have to be careful in life situations. (laughs) Noted. Okay, I think this is a good place to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with more uh, Tama and this incredible agility stuff. I mean, are there, are there more agility um, uh, obstacles? Like, we, I think we've talked about six or seven of them so far. I'm sure there's there's lots. I mean, I don't want to miss, I don't want to leave out like one or two, but if there's like 37 more, then I've got to talk about <laughs> No, there's not 37 more. There's the tire, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a hoop style jump. Um, and then there's the long jump or broad jump. Same thing, different names depending on the organization. And it looks... It just looks like a whole bunch of tiered planks, kind of like uh, cell phone signal bars. You know how they go up in in ring? They look like that, and the dog jumps across it. So instead of height, like a normal hurdle, they're going long. So those are really the only uh, two other obstacles we didn't cover, or at least list. (laughs) I'm glad we didn't leave them out. Would have felt bad leaving those last two ones. Yeah, what if somebody (laughs) loves the broad jump, and we just were like, you know, broad jumpists. So how do you you get started, though? Like... um, Again, and I'm always coming from a place because my dogs are relatively untrained. They're not very, 
agile by any means. <laughs> but like, so how would somebody get started in this? How do they find out if this is going to be a fit for them um, and that their dog is going to enjoy it? I think that would be one of the things like I would hate to see somebody forcing their dog to go through mm. this. Um, but like, how do you how do you make those decisions? So that's um, actually one of my favorite questions that uh, or comments that I'll get with my newbies when they start in one of my classes is I will do agility if my dog likes it, because I feel like that's such a loaded statement. To me, agility is a trick. Right. Does your dog like to do high five? Sure. If you train it, right? Like it means a cookie. Yeah, of course I'm going to high five. So to me, agility is just like that. The only dogs that will not like agility are dogs that either do not get enough reinforcement when learning the game. So you make it a chore instead of fun. Um, or they have something physically that inhibits their enjoyment of it, right? Like I mentioned my chihuahua that had the hip problem. If I were to ask her to continue doing agility, it probably would have caused her pain. So of course she wouldn't have liked it. Um, so, but if, if physically your dog is healthy and you find a trainer or you yourself are generous with your reinforcement. So I'm talking good food, toys, praise, all of the above. Don't be greedy. <laughs> then yes, the dog will like dollar bills, y'all. hundred dollar bills. <laughs> right, exactly. You should be making it rain during those training sessions. Okay, so you're saying basically any dog, any healthy dog would enjoy doing this. Absolutely. In fact, I've had clients who have come to me with dogs that have um, major self-confidence issues, do agility not with the goal of competing, but of creating more a more confident dog. And it is amazing the transformation that occurs because that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you are teaching them new things that they can be proud of and that enhances their relationship with you. It gets them out of the house and, and therefore mentally enriches them, environmentally enriches them. I mean, agility, I, I compete. I love to compete, but agility is so much more than just competition. So break that down first, because I know that as a trainer, I recommend agility to a lot of my shy dogs because there's something very empowering about problem solving. And that's how I look at agility. It's like, it's a problem solving activity. Like, how do I get from point A to point B? How do I get through the tire? How do I get around these weaves? You have to problem solve. So it does challenge the brain in that way. So for a dog that is shy, you know, like break that down. Tell us probably what's a good way to ask this question what's your favorite client turnaround story from all of your clients um from all of them so i actually have i have two different ones okay <laughs> um yes. one is based off of the human uh i have a client who has ms which um if you guys are not familiar any of your audience is not familiar with that it can be a very very painful uh disease right and multiple she, sclerosis yes and she she once told me that she loves agility because it requires so much focus and gives her so much joy that during that hour class or 15 minutes that she's training on her own is the only time she does not feel pain. So to me, that is one of, I will never forget that statement. She still trains with me. Um, and I, I think she'll train with me until literally the disease prevents her from training because it mm -hmm. is something that enhances her life. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, and then my other turnaround story was based off of a dog turnaround. And actually this client is still with me too, but not with this dog because he did it with the dog um, just for her confidence. And that's literally what it was. I mean, the dog came in and I, I, I think she would have hid from her own shadow if that was a possibility. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he got to the point where she could do everything that anyone else in the class was doing. He, he had to repeat the same class multiple times to help her through it because you have to go at the dog's pace, mm. right? You can't progress just because you're ready. You have to progress when they're ready. And he was 
so patient and so willing to do that for her that she she blossomed and she could do the same things any of the other dogs did. Now, he didn't set competition goals for her because he just wanted her to have a more healthy mental and emotional state, but he got addicted in the process of training her. So he now has two border collies <laughs> that he competes with. So he, he's, he's actually now a four dog household that started with one. When he met me, his poor wife, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? She's well, so see, fortunate. That's how I see it. <laughs> and like, see, when I hear that story, like that is inspiring to me to hear the client turn around in that just in terms of like, it's, I think it's so wonderful when a client is willing to meet the dog where the dog is. Mm -hmm. And like for any of our listeners out there, you know, they are unique individual personalities and like being able to take that patience and really meet your dog where they are is so important. And the turnaround as Ken was sharing is so rewarding when you finally get that breakthrough and you finally get that, that last little push. I mean, you get to see the dog that you really have that might be hiding behind that shire exterior. I love both of those stories. I almost cried, but I held it together today. <laughs> and I could cry at least once an interview. I feel I like I totally looked up to see if you were, if you were I, like, what is, what is this? I'm such a dog mom. Jeez. <laughs> it's nice to know something that can change people's and dogs lives in a positive way. You know, yeah. and, I mean, there's so much negativity anymore and it's really easy to get wrapped in that. And it's nice to find those positive things and unintended. And <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, and, and just to add on to the, to the transformation type stories. If you guys do start agility, anyone listening to the starts agility with your dog and you have one of those dogs that starts out insecure, it doesn't mean they can't ultimately be competitive too, if that's your goal. Porky Pig um, is sound phobic, which can be genetic. Uh, the first time she heard a teeter, she was probably a hundred feet away from it and she took off like she had been struck by lightning. And now, as I had mentioned earlier in this conversation, she is she's one of the top chihuahuas in the nation. I had to be really patient. Yes, yes, yes. And I had to be really patient with her in training the teeter because she was fearful. But because like we talked about with my student's dog, you go at the dog's pace. If you're patient mm -hmm. and rewarding and and tell them that they can trust you. Right. I mean, that's the one thing you've got going into this. Aside from food and toys, you have your trust in your relationship. So if you keep that, if you say, hey, I'm only going forward when you're ready, it gets better. It gets better. But if you push them, then you you break your trust bond. And now it doesn't matter if you're holding stake. They, they don't trust you anymore. That thing is scary and I'm not doing it. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So we end the show in a very important way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, if and you I will. I, I, okay. Are you, like this is this is very show appropriate because we're having this conversation a little bit. Lovely. What what happened to the sheepdog who ate the rose? Who ate the what? The rose. Who ate a rose? I think you already told this one. No, no, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> no? What okay. happened? Yeah, yeah. What happened to the sheepdog who ate a rose? He turned no into cauliflower. You did tell this no, one. I promise you I didn't. I, I promise, promise you no, you did. I know. I, I know. I remember you hearing it, but it was, we needed to use it for this one because we've been talking about the collies so much. And I like. The herding breeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The herding breeds. And I love it. Amazing. All right. Well, come on. Kama, thank you so much for coming on with us today and chatting with us about agility. We will definitely have to have you on again, probably when this competition season. Yeah, when, when is uh, some of the next big competitions? Yeah. Well, it depends on the state of the world. <laughs> right. 
Um, there is supposed to be the next Team USA tryouts in April. Um, we, we No one knows for sure if that's going to happen yet because we don't know what travel restrictions may still be in place at that point. Uh, there is another one in May. So again, fingers crossed. Um, after that, the big stuff happens in November. Perfect. Amazing. And, the, and well, we can follow your journeys on, on uh, Instagram, I'm assuming, or TikTok, or where are you at? Um, I'm most active on Instagram, so that's probably the easiest place to find me, but really you can find me anywhere because I'm like all of us. I'm all, I'm in all the places. And what, what's your so, name on Instagram? It's my first name. So K-A-M-A and then add the word agility, A-G-I-L-I-T-Y, Kama Agility. And she's got some incredible videos of her and her dogs. Um, I've never seen a tiny chihuahua move so quickly. So I, I always love watching your videos. I think everyone loves Porky's videos the most. I'll post something so of Border Collie and it gets like 100 views. Porky, 24,000. It's just so cute. <laughs> she's just this tiny little bleep and she's just like a little white blur going across the video. It's adorable. She looks a little bit like a rodent running through an agility Go board. watch. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks right. so much, Thanks, Gamma. Gamma. Thank you. Bye. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. I want to take a quick sec and thank everybody who's joined us on today's podcast for listening. Make sure to follow Kama on her Instagram account. She does uh, both online training and she does in-person training. So go check that out. We're going to go add that link down into the uh, into our description, as always, uh, with anything else that we mentioned on the show as well. Uh, and then while you're at it, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on the Dogish Podcast show as well, so you can hear the upcoming shows uh, that we've got going on. Um, and also, if you are listening and you do love what we're doing here, please leave us a rating and a review. We thrive on them. We love the ones we've gotten so far. We want to hear what you think about what we're doing. I think that the only place they can do that is on, on uh, iTunes. Go to iTunes, yeah, everyone so, now. So listen to Run. iTunes, leave Quickly. a review there. Fast. And then send us a message. If there's a, if there's a topic or a personality or something in the dog parenting world that you want to know more about or you think that we should be telling more people about, make sure to reach out. And until next time, Miss Sylvia, I will see you then. Sir Jason, I will see you then. Bye. Bye.